0: Beauty is the way God draws us to himself such that we know that that is good, such such that the truth only then makes sense. And it's in light of that that my longing is for us to have our imaginations stretched, which is going to take some work, into a space in which we don't just see beauty helping us feel better about ourselves that's not what god's up to he is about the redemption of everything and not just the small things that we think are small but the big things as well and 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 he is asking us to be co-laborers co-creating artists with him in that venture
1: We were designed to create and co-create. How do feelings stemming from shame prohibit our ability to fulfill that calling? How does human desire play into this conversation? (laughs) Hi, and welcome again to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio. Each week, Q Ideas and Faith Radio bring you this show, something we've been doing for about five years. And while I have really enjoyed many of our shows and many of the conversations, I got to tell you... This one is one of my favorites. If you were listening last week, Abe started a conversation with psychiatrist and author Dr. Kurt Thompson about the intersection of the Christian faith and neuroscience. We'll continue that conversation this week as Kurt helps us connect ideas between shame, desire, and creating. Now Kurt has been a longtime friend of Q and has spoken at several Q events like last year's Q&A virtual town hall on the topic of mental health and suicide. We played a clip of that conversation last week. Again you can find a lot of great talks from past events plus other curated content on the Q media platform at qideas.org and if you're not a subscriber yet remember you can request that 30 day free trial membership. Getting back to those Q events gave for almost 16 years now, you and Q have put on events with some great thought leaders to help people, as we often say, stay curious, think well, and advance good.
2: So many of these leaders take so much time to help us think well about the current scenario we're in, as well as where is the future headed, and they do it with such poise and grace. This is what we do at Q Ideas. We cover the gamut. We want you as a leader to be prepared to think well about the world you're walking into. And as we move into 2022, that's not going to get any easier. More than ever, we need one another. We need discernment. We need wisdom. We need to know what faithfulness is going to look like in the face of brand new questions, perhaps never been asked by a human population. And so as we move into that season, I want to invite you to join with us. April 28th and 29th is our annual conference where every year for 16 years, we've hosted this culture summit. We'll be doing it again in Nashville, limited seating. We have 800 seats, which is In the past, we'd have over 2,000 people attend, but because of the new restrictions and the ways in which we've had to function and alter what we can offer, 800 people will be in the room, and we want you to be one of them. We're going to be talking about all kinds of topics. We already know we'll talk about technology, psychedelics, and drugs. We're talking about the media and its influence. We're talking about the metaverse and augmented reality. We're going to be digging into all of the conversations that are at the fore, and the ones that you as a Christian leader need to know how to engage. We're going to do that with you. We're going to partner, and we're going to make that available to anybody who wants to join with us in Nashville, as well as we'll be making a virtual option available as well. You can learn more all about that. Register now at qideas.org slash culture summit.
1: Yeah, it should be a great time, regardless of whether you're in person or attending virtually. So again, visit qideas.org slash culture summit to learn more and to register. Now, Gabe, let's get back to the conversation you started last week with psychiatrist Kurt Thompson, as you two talked about lessons from neuroscience and how our faith impacts our mental well-being as we follow God's design for us to be co-creators with him. Now, we're going to back up just a little bit where we left off from last week and continue on from there.
2: The curiosity piece, I think, for all of us, and, and just the journey of exploring, asking questions, having like a healthy skepticism, is a really important piece of critical thinking and of us getting to the bottom of what's really going on. And your book, Soul of Shame, I was, I was telling you earlier, you know, Rebecca has read, marked that up, and was—it's kind of preached it to me and tried to help me understand it. But I couldn't understand it until I went through it myself, and it was so helpful and so deep. Mm. I was in a men's study just the other day, and one of the men was recommending it to the other men. He's like, you need to read this book. And um, telling them, like, this is such an important understanding to see how shame causes us to move towards isolation and away from relationship when the actual solution is to move towards relationship. And so I know we won't be able to unpack that entirely here. I want people to go get that book, though, because I think it's so foundational to us understanding why we do what we do and how we respond to people and and why we find ourselves isolated. But your latest project, I mean, you've been working on for five years. It's a book called The Soul of Desire. So you wrote The Soul of Shame, <laughs> and now you're unpacking for us The Soul of Desire and the subtitles, Discovering the Neuroscience of Longing, Beauty, and Community. I've heard you talk and riff on this over the last couple of years, but I'm so excited it's finally going to be in a form that everybody can, can grapple with this. So give us a bit of the synthesis of the big idea for the soul of desire. You know, Gabe, I, um, as, as I mentioned to
0: you beforehand, this was a bit of a labor of love. Uh, this is a book that did not just immediately come forth. And so in many respects, what emerged over the course of those five years represents some of my own, uh, wrestling match and that wrestling match with myself and with my own story, I'm you know, 58, nearly 59 years old, and I'm even, you know, in the last, you know, couple of years, last six months, last two weeks, have been wrestling with things afresh in ways that I never have, and, you know, um, as I, uh, you know, as the soul of shame has kind of made its way and into the hands of people who've read it, and I've continued to sit with that, it really began to strike me over time that and even though we, we offer, I offer a, a response to the experience of shame in that in that book, what began to grow in my awareness is that we uh, offer ourselves, we offer our friends, we offer our congregations, we offer cognitive answers to these things. And, and these are, you know, we, we offer theological solutions, theological reflections about what the truth is about our life and our life in Jesus and so forth, all of which is necessary and true, helpful and meaningful. And at the same time, I've become uh, just aware that that over time, that it's not just uh, I, when, when shame rears its head, we're tempted to just simply say, look, we have Good Friday and we have the resurrection and we have the ascension and we have the consummation that is coming. And so that's all we have to know. So that there's nothing to be ashamed of. And yet that doesn't seem to be enough. Because I hear those words and those words are true, but I hear them through my left brain and my right brain, which is where my shame matrix often hides out, is left adrift from that. It's left isolated from that. And what I really need is community. And so we talk about in the soul of shame, this notion that I want to have a cloud of witnesses that helps me tell my story more truly and looks upon me and I can look upon them and we can find freedom. But then what really struck me, and we see this in our patients, we see this in these cohorts, these confessional communities that we describe in the book, in the soul of desire, this notion that we were made as people of desire, as it turns out. And it turns out that shame, evil makes shame a parasite on desire, We long for beauty and goodness. We were made this way from the beginning in the garden, but we weren't just made with the desire and the longing to be seen and to be known. It turns out we were made to be seen and to be known in order to then co create, Mm -hmm. to create beauty and goodness in the world. It's not just enough for me to know and be known. I need that fundamentally. But I need that on the way to making things. Right. And that beauty that we long to make is not just something that I want to create in my environment as I steward my work, whether I'm making furniture or software or legal briefs or farming or whatever it is, or I'm making babies with my wife or I'm or I'm like raising a family or in it, whatever those things are, I'm also The spirit of God doesn't just want me to make things like he makes things. The spirit of God longs for me to become the very beauty that
2: I'm in the business of co-creating with him. Mm. This takes me back to the first time you and I met, we had coffee, frothy monkey here in Franklin. I'm right there with you. I see it. (laughs) Andy Crouch had connected you and me and said, I I bet you guys will be friends. And and I just remember sitting there and talking about this and, um as you describe the idea of that we were made to create you know it takes me back to Andy who is somebody in, in this community uh who's one of the first to just talk about that God's just designed all of us to be a part of creating culture with him and that that's how we make beauty that's how we put things into the world that offset the evil and the destruction that happens around us and that's how we repair things that are broken so um, it's full circle moment, as you describe that this is what we're made for. This is how God uniquely wired us. I mean, you've studied the brain. You understand when we come to life, when we flourish. I mean, this isn't just some idea out there. This is like built in. It's like baked into God's design for a human being, whether you're a Christian or not, that that you've been designed to make things, to create. Right. And here's the thing, too, Gabe, that really strikes me about the gospel. It it is not
0: difficult for us when we come upon beauty, either in nature or in worship or in a magnificent painting or a piece of architecture. We come to it and we are just held in rapt attention. There's no question about this beauty. The the newborn comes into the world and she's all bundled up and she's handed to you, and you can't believe what you're seeing. Here's the thing about the gospel the gospel. Comes looking for that kind of beauty in the very last places that we would expect to find it. There's nothing about a crucifixion about which the idea or notion of beauty would ever occur to us. If we knew anything about what the Romans did to people, beauty would not be on our radar as a way to describe it. But through the lens of Easter, we look back at Good Friday and we say, there is nothing more beautiful than a crucified lord and it is because of that that we sense that jesus comes looking for the parts of our lives that we hate the most he comes looking for the very places where evil believes it has triumphed and he is looking for beauty in the very last place that we would expect to imagine it and he begins with us, and then he calls us and says, I want you to come with me, and I want to send you into the most broken places, and I want you to, with those people who are broken, I want you to help them begin to practice imagining beauty in their own lives, where that's the last thing they could ever imagine.
2: Mm. What a call to all of us, and and as I think about just the moment that we're in culturally here in the U.S., and, and I know this is something people all around the world are experiencing right now is, is just this new moment of needing to experience beauty, but perhaps it's going to need to happen in some ways that they didn't realize. And it's going to happen in some circumstances or locations or places where they may be left and escaped to go find beauty. And now that's not as possible as it once was. And they're, they're faced with, okay, what does it mean to create beauty every day? What does it Mm -hmm. mean to be the kind of person that's, I know you talk about this, like, like make, create paths in your life that are intentional that allow you to see beauty every day. Can you can you just encourage people right now who are going, you know what, I haven't felt like there's a lot of beauty around right now. I feel like the world's kind of caving in on me or I'm feeling crushed by um, you know, the confusion of of trying to determine how to live my life right now. What what are some of the ways people can think in maybe a small way about finding beauty? Right, small ways. Exactly. And and I would say first, Dave, that part of how it is that
0: we feel crushed. In this way is because we are uh, you know our our uh, kind of like we might call it our our mental or emotional or spiritual musculature that can effectively look for and discover beauty is pretty atrophied we haven't had to practice using it. We haven't been in the habit of looking for beauty in difficult moments. We can be taken by it. We can be captivated by it when it happens to show up because we're on a hike and I round the turn and there's this magnificent vista. But that's not the same thing as me looking for it on a regular basis, especially in the places that are difficult. And so this notion of practicing looking for beauty in places. This is, this is part of the issue. Like it's going to take work. It's going to require work. So one of the things that I would, I would uh, send people to, you might be, you might remember this. There was a, a movie that won an Oscar for best picture called a beautiful life. Yeah. This tells the story of a father and his young boy who were taken off to a constant Nazi concentration camp and what happens to them and the life that this father creates for his young, young boy. Because he is intentional upon creating a life for this boy that the boy otherwise wouldn't be able to see unless somebody on purpose is going to create this. And, of course, people around him are like, what are you doing? What are you? Hmm. But it is the very thing that keeps them both alive. And we see this in practical ways. And, of course, our listeners at first glance might think, oh, this kind of all sounds rather odd. So here would be an example. I would suggest that you can do this. uh, This is exercise. Every day for the next six weeks. I want you to, before you do anything else in your day, and of course, this is where people are going to have a hard time because I'm going to ask them to do something that they're not going to want to do. I'm going to say, before you do anything with any device, when you wake up in the morning, your alarm clock goes off, you turn your alarm off, you get dressed, and I want you to leave your house. I don't care if it's sunny. I don't care if it's rainy. I want you to leave your house. And I want you to walk someplace where you live in which you can find something that is natural that is emerging. That's a tree. That's a flower bed. That's something. And I want you to take 60 seconds, at least 60 seconds. And I want you to put your hand on the tree. I want you to look at it. I want you to sense it. I want you to feel it. I want you to pay attention to it. Now, of course, it'd be best if you're not doing this in your neighbor's backyard, because then things get weird. (laughs) Right. But my point is that For us to make contact with the natural world, with the natural beauty, we begin to allow our senses to wake up to the reality that beauty is actually there. Mm -hmm. I just haven't been paying attention to it. Instead, my attention is attuned to social media. My attention is attuned to other things that are not about beauty. They're attuned to all kinds of things that, in fact, are about the de- the destruction and devouring of beauty. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing like putting your hand on an oak or a maple tree that is immovable. For you to be reminded that, like, you didn't put this tree here. Right. This tree is more durable than your body is. It's going to outlast us probably, right? <laughs> it's going to outlast us. And it, it begins, it literally... This is the thing, Gabe. It begins to speak to us through our right hemisphere of our mind, of our brain, and allows us to sense God's intention and his presence in ways that language and logic simply don't approach us. That's That's an example of an external thing to do. Begin to practice. Do it once a day, every day for the next six weeks. And I would say, as you do, pay attention to what you sense and image and feel. That's one thing. Another thing. It would be important for you to begin to create, even in your home, anything that you want. Draw, paint, write a piece of poetry, write a lament, get online and say how to write poetry. If it's been a while since you've played the piano or the guitar, pick it up and start to work at it. The very act of intentionally pursuing beauty and creativity in your alleged small life will begin to awaken your brain and your mind and your relationships to how much bigger your life is and that God is waiting for you in it. And the next part, the third part I will say, that's just a practical thing is I want to ask you this question. If you couldn't be ashamed or afraid, if you couldn't be ashamed or afraid. And right now you're going to say like, yeah, but Kurt, I got all kinds of reasons. Like, yeah, if you couldn't, be afraid or ashamed, what would be the first next thing that you and God would want to create together? What would it be would it, Would it be learning how to cook a new meal? Would it be a new relationship with your child? What would it be a new relationship with a friend that you'd like to be closer to? What about a friend who used to you know what about an enemy who used to be a friend that needs to be have, have be, be repaired? Hmm. These are things that we are called to do, but that we can't do them alone. Yeah. Who are going to be the people that you're going to contact and and say like, George? I just want to call you up and say like, I decided that today this is the project this next week that I'm going to create with God, and I want you to know about it. Hmm. Now we think off the cuff that like, well, gosh, this stuff all sounds like pie in the sky. I don't really know how this is going to work. And I would say that we don't have much confidence in these kinds of activities because we've never practiced them. We've never had to, and the reason we've never had to is because we are the age of the infinitely distracted and distractible. And every time I get distressed about anything, I just get to my phone. And then I don't have to live with my distress. I will just be distracted. And then COVID comes along and it reveals my fragility in addition to causing my wounds. Beauty, I want to suggest, and the pursuit of creativity, not in the abstract, but in the context of relationships, is an answer to this that God is offering. And so echoes Dostoevsky's words in his novel, The Idiot, that beauty will save the world. And we would say, not least, the beauty that we see through
2: the lens of Easter in the image of a crucified Lord. Hmm. Wow. Well, man, you've given us so much to consider, contemplate, and even to do. And as you're describing that first, practice of just touching creation. Last evening, I took um, Kate and Joy, two of our children, out because we just bought six little baby chickens. And they're like the cutest, you know, it's like day day two. (laughs) So they're just fluffy, bright yellow. And, you know, I brought Kate and Joy out to, to look at them and they're a little scared and joy doesn't want to touch them. And she's just kind of scared of it Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's all unfamiliar. So I, I pick up one of those little baby chickens and I'm like, give me your finger. And she watched me kind of stroke his little head as he kind of moves his head and makes his little tweets, you know, and and, um, she finally sticks her finger out and lets me kind of take it and just put it on, the, the little chick and uh-huh. starts to stroke it and she starts to smile and the little the little um, chicken just does its little tweets and she can kind of see almost this interaction between her touch and the mm. the chick's uh, little noises that that it's making and and then Cade got interested and so I started holding them and Cade thought it was the funniest thing and so it was so <laughs> cute when I was kissing their little but anyway just when you were talking about that it's like you know they're they're used to digital they're used to a right. world of school and concrete and playgrounds but but not always getting to interact with creation and nature right. and th- these other living things, these beings that have been created. And so, anyway, that was, that was fun and a good reminder as you were talking about that. Right. Like,
0: well, I do, And, and you know, our, our listeners wouldn't necessarily connect engaging with newborn chicks with the healing of racism, for example. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't connect putting your hand on an oak tree every day for six weeks with political polarization. But I want to say to our listeners that if we are willing to allow beauty, especially in the context of vulnerable community, which is a lot of what we talk about in the book, it's not just about a venture out into nature or into museums. It's really about the beauty that is created in the context of these communities that we describe, where people are really working through their deepest, darkest places to see them not as something we want to get rid of, but as beauty that is waiting to emerge in the gaze of those around them, when that's the kind of beauty that we are looking for. When we see that the ones with whom we have great difference are actually sources of new creation, beauty then is no longer just some abstraction that becomes a luxury in the world. No, but as von Balthasar would say, Hans or von Balthasar would say, that beauty is where everything begins. Mm. Beauty is the way God draws us to himself that such that we know that that is good, such that, it, such that the truth only then makes sense. And it's in light of that that my longing is for us to have our imaginations uh, stretched, which is going to take some work, into a space in which we don't just see beauty helping us feel better about ourselves that's not what god's up to he is about the redemption of everything and not just the small things that we think are small but the big things as well and and, and he is asking us to be co-laborers co-creating artists with him in that venture
1: So good, so rich. This is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons and the conclusion of Gabe's conversation with psychiatrist and author Dr. Kurt Thompson on lessons from neuroscience and where faith and neuroscience intersect. You know, Gabe, after I first heard this conversation, I went to Kurt's website, which by the way is kurtthompsonmd.com and I've been pouring through his articles and listening to and watching videos of interviews and presentations he's done elsewhere. Really, Kurt is speaking deeply into what it means to be a human. What God's calling for us is and how through his redeeming work, he is making it possible for us to live out that calling.
2: I continue to grow just by the time I spend not only reading his books, but also beginning to listen to what he's doing in the podcast world. And I want to remind you guys, we have partnered with Kurt to do NeuroFaith.
1: Yeah, that's right. You touched on that last week. It's something the Q team is working on right now. Tell us a little more about
2: it. You're going to be able to begin listening to his interviews of other leaders, really combining science and faith and helping us better understand how God's naturally wired us and our brains to operate and how faith informs that around a variety of issues from mental health to living well in this current moment. We can find more content, some of our other conversations we've had around mental health with Dr. Kurt Thompson on Q Media. You can get a free trial to that at qideas.org slash trial, and also when you do that you can have access to our Next Gen Summit. The Next Gen Summit is our event series that we just hosted this past fall with 200 leaders, ages 18 to 30, and we invited 10 key leaders to be mentors to inform and educate these young leaders on how to think well about our current culture, about the big issues and topics of our time and you will love that conversation. In fact, if you have a college student in your life or a family of, of teenagers or children or those that you lead might be in that age group, you would find this as an incredible way to create some incredible conversation. So I hope you'll join us at Q Media by going to QIdeas.org slash trial. We hope you have a great week.
1: Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com.